hear me all right? Too loud? Okay, so what we're going to do is we have this morning, just as a, a refresher on the schedule, we're going to have um, a speaker, and then we're going to have a break, and then a speaker, and then we're going to invite everybody to the Alamo, right? That's today. And then we'll have um, Paul tonight. So um, our first speaker I've known for, gosh, 35 years, um, and um, this, this, this gentleman has been a pastor. <laughs> What's going on? Are you, are you ushering me off the stage? <laughs> it's my security detail. It's just, trust me, it's a pain. Um, so I've known this, this guy for, 40, or for 35 years. He's um, celebrating 40 years of marriage this year. Um, 40 years since he's um, uh, received, or accepted the Lord and committed his life to, to Jesus. He's been the senior pastor of Saddleback Covenant Church in Mission Viejo for 25 years this year. He also turns out that he's my dad. That's why I've known him for that long. Um, you know, some of the, the superlatives that may go around is the eighth wonder of the world. Um, <laughs> That's all. I'm, all. I'm reading this. This is all what he gave me. No. No, one thing I'll say about my dad is that he is, he's an extremely faithful man. And we're going to hear from my dad and from Brian this morning. And, um, but I just, I think we're so blessed to have pastors and, um, that really care for the people that, are, um, are, that they're shepherding. So with that, dad, why don't you come up? Let's see. I'm on. Good. It's really good to be here again. And uh, I just think it's amazing. I was, last night I was talking to Sebastian and thinking of the story that he has and the connection to Dow and how someone like uh, Sebastian would come all this way, even now that Dow is gone. And it means there's a substance here beyond... Uh, just personalities, and um, but uh, I'm going to, I don't know what I'm going to do, I'm going to talk, I've got some things written down, and um, so you just try to follow, I'm going to cover getting on with it, following closely and finishing well, but there's a quote where it says, methods, programs, and strategies obsess the mind of the church planter, questions about target audience and whether a new church will be attractional or missional are fodder for sleepless nights and daydreams of another vocation. Into this confusion steps Eugene Peterson, a church planter himself, with a very different vision. In his memoir, we learn that Peterson's church began in the early years of the church growth movement, a time when numerical growth was promised to pastors who followed the right steps. Pushing against the ecclesiastical sales pitch, Peterson chose instead to live in the ambiguities of congregation in which growth was mostly slow and mostly, at least for long stretches of time, invisible. These days when I am tempted to see myself as a strategist, I hear Peterson urging a different view of my vocation, a companion in searching out the sacred mysteries of salvation and holiness. For this, I'm exceedingly grateful, and it's written by David Swanson, a pastor 
uh, from New Community Covenant Church. Uh, as Matt said, I've been at this a while now. I remember when I was the new guy, but now I look back in 25 years as the pastor, but I've uh, met a lot of people in my life who are extraordinarily frustrated uh, because they don't know what they want to do. They want to get on with it, uh, but they're all hung up. They're hung up about their gifting. They're hung up about their, comp- uh, their calling, and it's really complicated to them, this whole deal. And in having the wisdom of Solomon, I just basically say, get over it. (laughs) Getting on with it is getting over it. Who do we think we are? Do you think your gift is, is going to change the entire world that you're that special? God may use you that way in a unique way, but if you study or see anybody that did that, they didn't start out knowing that they were this great person. It's God raised them up in time, and when they became great, they didn't even consider themselves great. I'm the chiefest of sinners, the least of the apostles, the least of the saints. So let's get over it so we can get on with it. Only you can do what you're called to do. I can't do it. You can't do mine. I can't do yours. Each of us has a unique calling, and... um, And each of us pleases God as we respond to that calling. We are maybe called to do things in anonymity that no one knows about. It's not even in the bulletin. But it's very close to the heart of God. It's easy to regard what is seen by men as a validation of success. I'm otherwise convinced that there are people who will never get up to this podium or any podium but have many, many crowns on their head when they meet the Lord. The great crowd of witnesses in Hebrews 11 says, uh, are telling us to get on with it. They've passed the baton to us. And like David in Psalm 24, it says, this is the generation of those who seek him, who seek thy face, even Jacob. So let's get on with it. The journey can leave marks of bitterness, pain, and deep disappointment. But thank God for God. Matthew Henry said, Extraordinary afflictions are not always the punishment of extraordinary sins, but sometimes the trial of extraordinary graces. Sanctified afflictions are spiritual promotions. Forgive us our debts as we forgive others. I don't understand how we have an option not to forgive. Again, as a pastor, I meet so many people who are so grateful for Jesus dying for their sins, but they won't forgive their next-door neighbor. I think Jesus should have changed the prayer to tolerate thy neighbor as thy neighbor tolerates you. We confuse tolerance with forgiveness. Real forgiveness is key to getting on with it. I mentioned to Paul, I asked him if I could share this, but some years ago when we were serving on a council together, uh, we got crosshairs uh, at the end of a meeting. We were talking. It wasn't a big argument, but it ended up we had one of these email confrontations that went on for a couple of weeks. And it, I know it was painful for him and it was for me as well because I didn't want to cause pain. But we went through that. And then at the end of it, over a period of a few days, a weeks maybe, um, we kind of agreed, bless you, brother, be warmed and fed. And we were both over it. 
but guess what? We weren't over it, so we couldn't get on with it because two years later, we sat down to have dinner and we're sitting across from each other and all of a sudden, we're on again. It's on. We weren't over it and I couldn't get on with it. And that night, we hammered it out. Misperceptions, different perspectives, the why, I didn't mean, well, you said, I'm sorry. And we went through it and I said to him, I shared this, by the way, we're over it, right? <laughs> Paul said, we're over it. But we got over it, so now I can go on with it with him. We don't have a right not to forgive anybody. Let it go. Just flat let it go. You do, that's the most underestimated power. I think it's as powerful as prophecy, as powerful as healing, anything else. The power to forgive. It's the one thing the disciples just marveled and they, they help us with our unbelief. When he had he didn't say, they didn't say that when they raised the de- uh, prayed for the cast out demons and healed the sick. But when he talked about seven times seven, he said, increase our faith. So this is key because if we don't forgive, we're going to end up with two things, religion and performance. That's all that's left. And that'll make us put on a type of Saul's armor. And play this game, and we will turn into this sucking lemon person that just hates it, you know? And it's not what God called us to. He called us to life, and life more abundantly. So if there's nobody here that hasn't been hurt or misunderstood, but I tell you this morning that if you nurture that hurt, and that resentment, uh, you will distance your own soul from God and the brethren. I mean, it, there's, no way to get, there's no way to get on with it. You can't get on with unforgiveness. Now, let's just say you really have been hurt. The person might have, it's like the freeway, the guy that cuts you off and people are screaming for the next 50 miles at the guy. He doesn't even know he cut you off. Some of the people that really have hurt us didn't even know they hurt us. But we nurture that thing until almost it's like this big worldwide plot against our soul. So first thing first, let's get on with it so that, let's get over it so we can get on with it. I couldn't be here today if my story was just about believing in Jesus. I could only be here if my story was about following Jesus. There is a huge difference between believing in Jesus and following Jesus. Believing means you have faith and you've made a heartfelt decision and commitment to become a Christian. It means you've received forgiveness gladness, gladly and you're going to heaven. Being a follower of Jesus goes much further. It's a decision of the will empowered by the Holy Spirit to follow him and walk with him all the days of your life in whatever dimension he takes you. And he follow, as we follow him, he takes us to some strange places. Virginia. Georgia, Morocco, Kenya. He'll even take you to California. (laughs) And there's really, this journey has such an unusual, uh, where you are today, uh, that could never have been scripted by man. If I got every one of your stories, 
There's no way you scripted it and when you started this journey that you are where you are doing what you're doing except a sovereign God said get on with it and you responded as best you can. Your feet kept getting dirty. You kept sinning. You wiped them off. You asked forgiveness and here you are all these years later walking. And the young men, here you are getting launched into the kingdom. It's exciting. I often tell the story that I've told it many times. I think I've told it here but uh, some years ago in Colorado Springs, uh, those of you that know me, I like to muse. You know what muse is? M-U-S-E. You just kind of find something in a situation. And so Dennis Call and I were here, and we were going to Robert's service, and um, Paul was speaking, so we were going up to be supportive, and we're going up I-25, and I said, turn to Dennis, and I said, Dennis, this is weird. He said, what? And I said, well, here's two ex-Catholic Protestant ministers driving up I-25 in Colorado Springs to get off on Baptist Road, to go to a Lutheran church, to attend an Anglican service under the auspices of the Bishop of Rwanda, to listen to a Canadian living in Belgium talking about what God is doing in Estonia. Unbelievable. See what I'm saying? Getting on, you can't script that. So getting on with it is not your plan of getting on with it. It's getting on with him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He'll lead and direct us. Listen, uh, E. Stanley Joes tells a missionary who got lost in an African jungle. Nothing around him but bush and a few cleared places. He found a native hut and asked the native if he would lead him out. The native said, all right. Said the missionary, show me the way. The native said, walk. So they walked and hacked their way through unmarked jungle for more than an hour. The missionary got worried. Are you quite sure this is the way? Where is the path? The native said, Buana, in this place there is no path. I am the path. Getting on with it, knowing what the path is. Where are we going? Have I been with you so long that you don't know where I'm going? Where are you going? What's going on? And then I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. That's where you're going, the way. The way. And how does that work? It's a mystery. Sacred mysteries of our salvation. To get on with it is important to look back as well because I have to know where I've been to know where I'm going. The Romans used to put a stone marker every mile to measure the empire. As Matthew said, it's been 40 years. At 24, I had a very specific and defined experience of repentance with the Lord. It was dynamic. It was clear. It was sovereign. Um, it literally scared the hell out of me. I mean, because I didn't, it wasn't, it was an encounter with God in a way for me. Everyone's different. We should never compare. But he revealed himself to me in such a way that it was um, very personal, but his presence uh, was very real to me. And the fear of God uh, came over me in a great way. It's like that day I knew a lot about things, but that day I knew that God was God. And that changed everything. When you know that God's God, you can start following. It starts and ends with God, not with church politics, the quality of worship, whether I'm getting fed or used. I've seen it all, you know, come and go again, but in truth it started with Jesus and it finishes with Jesus. 
And that's who got me and that's who got you. We have to go back to that day, that season, that call where he said to you, you're mine. You're mine. Follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Maybe some of you never done that, but the majority I know have. We always have to go back to that. I don't have certain rights because of what we've already negotiated. In the Bible, it rained 40 days, 40 nights. In the wilderness, the manna came for 40 years. They wandered for 40 years. Moses went up to Mount Sinai twice for 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus went into the wilderness. He was tempted 40 days by the enemy. He was crucified, died, and buried, and returned for 40 days afterwards. So 40 is a big number. If you want to break a habit, it says six weeks, which six times seven is roughly 42, but in that range. 40 is a generation, and it's an important milestone to me. And I'm looking back and asking, where did 40 years go, and how did I get here? It leads me to a confession going back to when I was a young man of 20 years old. Um, I don't think anybody here knew me at 20. My dear wife's the only one. But uh, at, when I was 20 years old, I got deeply hurt. Um, girl I was dating was just deeply hurt. And my response to that was to play a tough guy. And um, cool and aloof. Um, and um, I joked with Robert about it when I first met him because in college I like to put on that uh, syrup, whatever it is. I have a cigar hanging out my mouth and playing the music to Good, Bad, and the Ugly with about three days' growth. And that's when my idea of what it was to be a real man, <laughs> you know, kidding around and being the tough guy. And uh, those of you who don't know the movie, forget it. <laughs> but it was really good. But in Wild at Heart, he talks about our persona and he says that you... All of us have a persona, and what happens is our persona is so much a part of us that we think our persona is really who we are. The game, the role we're playing to other people. And what happens is God comes along, and he, he hadn't even gotten to Kevin yet. He's just breaking the persona. And we think he's breaking us because we're so attached to this image we've created of whatever it is, tough guy, intellect, uh, the guy that always knows how to make money or the spiritual one, whatever that persona is. And so God comes and he has to break the persona first before he can break you. And there's no one else that can get you through that. Not my mother, my father, my friends, my church. Only the Lord can do that. And so when I say it stops and finishes with God, I'm not at all denigrating marvelous comrades and what we experience. But there are certain things reserved for God alone. And that transformation comes through him alone. Thank God for God. The, uh, the next day after I came to the Lord, I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, I don't know what had happened. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. I was a changed person. I hadn't been sanctified, but I was changed. Uh, I was with Jim Matthias in those days where we spent a lot of time together. And I, we had a Bible study. And he said, why don't you bring a word? Well, I didn't know anything and I was scared to death. I didn't know what to speak. Um, I had been, uh, I was a college graduate, I'd been an officer in the army, led men in combat, jumped out of planes, jungle warfare school, had a lot of confidence in one way, but this scared me more than anything to actually speak for God. 
what qualified me to come and tell somebody what God thinks? It's, uh, that's why don't, many of you want to be teachers, for you incur the stricter judgment. And, uh, you know, people want to teach. Make sure you're called to all the... Make sure you're called to it. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> don't, don't, don't be on an ego trip because people have got to hear what you have to say. Um, I mean, I, I, it was just amazing. And, and um, the fear of God was in me. I scoured the scriptures. I didn't know what to say. I mean, this was like for about three days. Right after work, I'd open the Bible. I didn't know where to, And finally, I landed on Romans 3.23. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that was the first thing I ever shared. All have sinned and come short of the good. To get on with it, that was the beginning. And it reminded me, because what it meant to me was that everybody has sinned. Even our nanas. Even junior and junior miss. Even that little baby that's so cute right now, you know. We've all sinned. And, um, which means that every person in this room has sinned. Am I correct? It's a room full of sinners. <laughs> sinners! And um, it's been said the biggest sinners sometimes make the biggest saints. So this is a great room full of great saints, I will say. Um, but being justified is a gift of his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. So you and I stand cleansed this morning as a gift and a gift only. Nothing else. Amazing, we have no righteousness of our own, for by grace we have been saved through faith and not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. We, if we start boasting, it, it, we're missing something here. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So I'm trying to get a hold of this fresh and new. God himself created good works for me before I was even here, that he specifically wants me to walk out in. And I want to be faithful, and I know you do too, to fill those things that God himself has prepared. I don't know what they are. I've never known what they are until we get to it. But I do know that he said, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So I want to walk in the good works. We want to walk in the good works prepared. Now, the second part of this, following closely, I, I just want to say there's lots of ways to approach this. I could do John 15, and we could talk about abiding. We could get into all the disciplines with Richard Foster. We could talk about prayer, fasting, and all that. But I want to do it a little different tack. I want to talk about getting, walking closely through the battle. That it is the battle... For me, that there are times that closeness has been the most unique, both with the brethren and with, with, God, with God. I love the My Glorious Brothers, the book. I love Band of Brothers on television. We were soldiers. And I want to say in 2 Timothy 4.8, let me read this to you. 4, 7, and 8. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me. And on that day, and not only to me, but all those who loved his appearing. I want to talk about the fight because I want to tell you that 
you're in, you and I are engaged in a good fight. There's many things in Scripture that are called good. Creation was good. Light was good. Land was good. Every creeping thing was good. And man was very good. In fact, the whole battle started over the knowledge of good and evil. The enmity that began in the garden will consummate at the end of the age. But there are many good things, good deeds, good works, good confession, good fruit, good morals, good discipline, good conscience, good servant, good faith, good courage, good foundation, good soldier, a good land, Caleb and Joshua said. Jesus himself is the good shepherd, not just a shepherd, but the good shepherd. But you're in the middle of something else that's really, really good, a good fight. The Greek word is callous for good, K-A-L-O-S, and it means it's a commendable, excellent, virtuous, honest, honorable, worthy fight. When Jamie was talking about whining last night that we've all done uh, privately or in our hearts or whatever, if we raise this thing, this is, you are in a, a virtuous struggle here. Raise the elevation. you got royal blood flowing through your veins through Jesus. And it's like you're commissioned. And he says uh, the, the word fight, the Greek is agon or agonia, where we get the word agony. So you're in a really good agony. It's an oxymoron. Good agony. You're in an honorable conflict. You're in an honorable race. You're in an honorable contest. You're in literally in good agony. And this good struggle that we're in is worthy of our lives. Would I rather be the president of Google and not be in this good struggle? Or would I... I'd like both maybe, huh? (laughs) They they would go bankrupt real fast if you knew anything about my... um, Tech ability. This is an amazing thing, but we're in a good fight. And I want to, if I couldn't emphasize that enough, when you don't know what's going on, maybe you're not supposed to. Just let it go and get on. And, you know, if, you, if you've been beat up, maybe it's because you don't know that either. We don't know. I can't explain to you why things happen. You can't either. Tozer said, a real Christian is an odd number anyway. He feels supreme love for one who he's never seen, talks familiarly every day to someone he cannot see, expects to go to heaven on the virtue of another, empties himself in order to be full, admits he is wrong so he can be declared right, goes down in order to get up, is strongest when he's weakest, richest when he's poorest, and happiest when he feels the worst. He dies so he can live, forsakes in order to have, gives away so he can keep, seeks the invisible, hears the inaudible, and knows that which passes knowledge. We are in a mystery of fellowship, a mystery of salvation, a mystery of iniquity. We're not supposed to understand it all, but we are to get on with it and follow closely, and he is the way, and he brings us through. I've been asking him lately how I'm doing. You know, every once in a while, it's a good idea. In the very beginning, when we had like 11 and a half people in the church, I remember one morning I woke up, I said, I said, uh, you want any particular songs you want this morning? 
<laughs> and it was like, but it was good, you know, I mean, because he, it's his church, not mine. It's his. Everything's his. And so I've been asking him how I'm doing, and I, I kind of get the feeling of impression. It's kind of like, where have you been? I'm concerned about plateauing. After all these years, I know enough. I can walk that out until I croak. But I, I have to be careful. We have to be careful, especially us older men that know so much and have so many experiences. I want to know how I'm doing with him now. And, and I had to go back to the beginning again. I started thinking. Um, in my prayer life this year, uh, when I do pray, my prayer is going all the way back to the beginning. When he, I, even as earliest memories I have as a little boy. And my prayer life has kind of been like, do you remember? Do you remember when I slugged that kid in Puerto Rico when I was four years old? Uh, do you remember when I got caught stealing my, the money from my grandfather? I, I do all this stuff when I was seven. And, we, I, and it's, been, it's been really wonderful to go back because you start seeing, it's almost like, he, yeah, I remember that. Just like we sit around in fellowship with each other. Do you remember back in Georgia? And Oh, yeah, that was crazy. Well, it's nice to do that with God himself. And, but going back to the beginning in John 6, Jesus is really very successful in ministry at this point. And um, everything was going right, but he really screwed it up because he did this eat my flesh and drink my blood thing. That message really screwed up the works. And it said many of the people left him. And the people that left him had seen miracles and, and uh, all kinds of, they'd heard the wisdom of God and they'd heard so many good messages. And they, what I'm telling you is, that's why I get sick of people that want to be fed. Because I say, go feed somebody. And, and people that want to consume because they had heard good messages, they had done all this stuff, but when Jesus does something that's out of the norm, and he says, don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, they bailed. The Romans didn't know what to do with him, the Greeks didn't know what to do with him, the Pharisees and the Sadducees didn't know what to do with him, and he was in the huge, in this big groundswell, then he messes it up by telling them to eat his flesh and drink his blood. This is a hard saying indeed. Later, he clarifies that words are spirit and life. And then he asked his own disciples if they were going to leave. Peter said, where do we go? We don't have anywhere else to go. You have the words of eternal life. Do you have anywhere else to go? Let's run the clip. Now, why would a slick little hustler like you want to sign up for this kind of abuse anyway? I want to fly jets, sir. My grandmama wants to fly jets. I want it since I was a kid. We're not talking about flying here. We're talking about character. I've changed. I've changed since I've been here. Hell, you have. I've changed, sir. No. I just polished up your ass a little bit. You just shined it up. Now, tell me what I want to hear. I want your D-O-R. No, sir. I want your D-O-R. I ain't gonna quit. Spell it. D-O-R. 
Oh, I got a quest. Yeah, then you can be free, and you and your daddy can get drunk and go hole chasing again, huh? No, sir. D.O.R. I got a quest. All right, then you can forget it. You're out. Don't you do it. Don't you. I got nowhere else to go. I got nowhere else to go. I got nothing else. Oops. It's a powerful. It's a. You know, he was, but he'd already been accepted into jets. He's going to be a jet pilot. Just like many of you are successful in your business and your calling, which is wonderful. That's all part of it. But do you have somewhere else to go? The disciples, the reason, with the exception of Judas, uh, the reason they succeeded, um, they had nowhere else to go. Satan, our accuser, tells us to quit or settle over and over again, but I have nowhere else to go. Forty years ago, sold everything for the pearl of great price. I don't want to go back now and buy some cheap imitation necklace after 40 years and get caught up in that which doesn't mean much. Through the good, the bad, and the ugly, the lines have fallen in pleasant places. Let's move on. There's a legend of a man who found a barn where Satan kept his seeds ready to be sown into the human heart. And on finding the seeds of discouragement more numerous than others, he learned that those seeds could be made to grow almost anywhere. So if we have a discouraged heart, we can make that grow anywhere. It's just like weeds. When Satan was questioned, he reluctantly admitted that there was one place in which he could never get them to thrive. He said, where is that? Asked the man. Satan replied sadly, in the heart of a grateful man. Men that forgive and men that are grateful can go on in this journey through hell and high water. The truth is that finishing well is living well. And none of us know the hour that it's going to be finished. God knew the times in which he called us to live and he alone knows the outcome of our times. And as he knows the outcome of our lives and our work, our failures might be his successes, our setbacks may be turning points that he uses for you in the kingdom. My hope and prayer is when all is said and done, we'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant. We have uh, an 82-year-old woman, intercessor in our church, one of my favorite people. Thank God she's not finished. We have a single who wanted to get married and never married, and she's 60, and she's going to be mayor of our city next year. Thank God she's not finished. And when I met her, she worked in a, um, what do you call that, we, uh, upholstery store. Now she's going to be the mayor of Mission Viejo. She could never have picked that. And we have others in our church who, uh, we, we've been hit with a number of cancers, in our church, Adam's mother and others. Uh, one of the young men we wanted to invite here, who's 26, couldn't come because he has cancer. And uh, but guess what? They're not finished, but they're finishing well, finding God 
in this journey. And we have a six-year-old boy whose dad is here, and I'm his grandfather who isn't finished and finishes well every day. We talked about him two years ago, Cade, who has a tumor and has had 17 months of chemotherapy. And we have what we know in so many of our situations, what we're encountered with Beth. Beth has been wounded, but she's not finished. But she's finishing well. Let's get on with it. Let's do it. And let's trust the Holy Spirit that it doesn't, if you don't know what you're supposed to do, he'll reveal it. He'll show you, and somehow you'll end up doing what you're called to do in spite of yourself. God bless you. Amen. Yeah.